This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Thousands of visitors are expected in the New York, New Jersey area as the Super Bowl gets underway. While many are planning safe and lawful fun, there are some who participate in a form of modern-day slavery. Human trafficking is often associated with large sporting events like the Super Bowl. So in preparation, a number of groups are working together to deter trafficking and to raise awareness about the issue. Today I'm speaking with two members of the Tri-State Coalition for Responsible Investment. But first, we look at a possible explanation for the economic reasons someone may be pushed into this lifestyle. My name is Kate Kambelik, and I teach for the Gabelli School of Business, um, Fordham University in the Bronx. Now, Kate, can you describe or define what fair trade is? Fair trade is a way of doing business that's an alternative to charity. It includes the poor specifically in the profit cycle, so that arm of money reaches out and encloses everybody in the globe, not just privileged people. So there's transparency. People know how much uh, a thing costs. There's accountability. There's gender equity and uh, sustainability. So it's a business with an entirely different purpose than the conventional form of business. And you're saying that fair trade is not a part of certain cultures or certain countries' everyday life? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, something that people decided as a group and globally. There's a global certification structure. So if something is certified fair trade, you know that, for example, there was no child labor involved in its production, which is a nice thing to know if, <laughs> you know, you're buying something. And... Um, Throughout the world, people work towards social justice, towards an equality of chance, economic chance uh, for everybody, and to, and also to fight poverty in a way that is not with aid or charity. And what do countries that don't have fair trade look like? Poverty levels with less fair trade. It's not it's not a huge movement yet, but with less fair trade, the gap between rich and poor gets worse and worse because all the benefits to an economic structure that's completely corporate, of course, stays with people that have connections to a corporation, and poor people don't. So um, economically, the poor are pressed harder and harder to create a profit, and they have less and less leverage. There's no rules, really, to a lot of conventional business. No, No humane rules or ethical rules. It's about the profit. So fair trade is different than that, and people that work in fair trade have a different set of values. They very much have solidarity with the poor, and I guess that's what drew me to fair trade in the beginning, that justice or that Jesuit connection of caring about how you live your life so that you're not doing damage to an already downtrodden group of people. Now, Kate, how is fair trade connected to human trafficking? It's interesting. I... um, didn't really think of it in the beginning, but uh, thinking about it more deeply now, fair trade is about giving people in deep poverty a chance to earn a dignified living. And people who are in deep poverty are also the exact same people that are vulnerable to traffickers and um, others who will take advantage of them. So both things actually have to do with that situation of, of um injustice and um, poverty. So once again, it gets your creative uh, mind working, you know, how can we fix this? How can we make this better? 
economically, fair trade works to try to give people an economic chance, and I think there are certain things that can be done about traffic trafficking that would level the playing field a little bit and give people another option and make them less vulnerable to traffickers. Things like what, Kate? I think it would be good to look at the profit cycle in trafficking, for example. Just like fair trade, there's always got to be a buyer, you know, and the buyer is the one that energizes the entire system. So in trafficking, of course, there's the person who, who purchases trafficked people, whether they're labor trafficked or sex trafficked or whether they're children, men or women, anybody, there's got to be a buyer. And if you look over the literature on sex trafficking, particularly in reference to the Super Bowl, in fair trade, the consumer pulled back and said, I'm not willing to take part in a system that furthers injustice to the poor. And so all these fascinating economic tweakings went on to the profit cycle. People changed their lives and started to think about sustainability and respect for the culture of of others and all. And I think, too, in human trafficking, um, it's time for the consumer, the people who purchase, you know, trafficked human beings, to step back and say, you know what, this is, this is not okay. This is taking advantage. This is something that we need to look at as a culture and quit supplying the motivation, you know, the buyers for this sort of thing and make it less socially acceptable for people to, to use trafficked individuals in sporting events. So um, I think it's about the evolution, really, of capitalism, of how things change over time and how with influences like the Jesuit tradition, where we do ask ourselves the question, you know, what are my responsibilities to people that have less than I do? You know, what, what should I do with my life? I think it's an easy answer to say we should not further harm trafficked people, but yet apparently a lot of people do that. And um, I don't think it's necessary to cause a big flood or point any big fingers or anything, but to just you know, stop for a moment, and instead of focusing on the terrible fates of people that have this happen to them, realize equally that our culture, you know, the people around us, ourselves as a culture, we somehow have a blind spot, and we need to think about that blind spot a bit. Now, Kate, to try to understand more about the economic reasons uh, connected to human trafficking, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand the amount that global trafficking can generate is estimated in the billions, but that's still only an estimate. Why is the dollar amount so difficult to pinpoint? I think it's because it is a a blind spot. I think it's not the kind of thing that's reported. I don't think it's the kind of thing that a lot of people even confess to themselves wholly that they're taking part in. Uh, In my time in Kenya, where the fair trade um, program began, I remember visiting the largest slum in Africa, which is called Kabira. It's on the edge of Nairobi. And women there had no way of earning money for their children. So due to that harsh economic reality, they allowed themselves to be used because they really didn't have another way to feed their kids. In the marketplace in Nairobi, there were flyers being handed out saying, if this organization contacts you, they'll tell you they'll get you a job in Sweden. It's not that. They'll um, they'll take you away and force you to have sex. I mean, it was very much a reality in Kenya during the years that I was there. I guess that kind of thing always springs to mind. So is it also an issue of making sure uh, some of these young men, young women, um, understand what can possibly happen to them if they believe some of the hype that's out there that 
So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I see what you're getting at, that um, it is partially making young women aware and, and little children, but um, very quickly it starts to, again, ignore the central player in this drama, you know, which is the people who partake in this sort of thing and say that it's okay and it's just part of getting drunk and watching sports and things like that. That there's a lot of lack of focus, I think, on the people who pay out those undocumented dollars. So I think that's why it's, it's kind of hard to define where the money is. And it's interesting, a lot of people call human trafficking a low risk to whom, you've got to ask yourself. That phrase is something that is characteristically molding our minds to think of this problem only in one way. It certainly is not low risk to the women and children that are trafficked. But the phrase makes you think that it's low risk maybe to the buyer, which would be true, correct? And these people have so little power that they're not going to, there'll be no consequences to your doing this immoral thing by purchasing them. And the high returns, that's from the point of the view of the person who owns the trafficked person. But nobody is creating labels that speak from the perspective of the trafficked person. Just very high risk and very low return, you know, quite the opposite of the original phrase, right? Right. So are there any legal or tactical or oh, I'm glad you asked policy that. measures <laughs> that can, and, uh, you know? And, um, it's a whole different dynamic. I learned that in 2009, I think it was France, no, it was Sweden, who first passed a law to criminalize the act of buying another human being. It's, it sounds right, right? Mm. Not the act like it is in the United States right now. It's, it's a crime to sell yourself. But they kind of reversed it, and it's called the Nordic model, so that it is an actual crime, which I think all of our spiritual background, whatever it would, may be, would agree that in spiritual terms it is a crime to use another person by paying for them with money. But they reversed the situation legally, and I think that that would do quite a bit. On the other hand, we have to be aware that sex workers, if they are that, also need protection under the law. Um, I mean, it's a complicated situation legally, but I think that, once again, I like the Swedish model because it kind of puts the blame where the blame is due. It, it, It shouldn't be that these poor people who have no other option are the criminals. I mean, we, I think we all know who the, the real criminals are in this scenario. So, Kate, if someone was planning to really hinder human trafficking from an economic point of view, what would you suggest? Change the laws and criminalize the act of purchasing another person across the board, globally, so that all the people that are now fueling this horrible industry would be vulnerable. Not to the degree that the people who are trafficked are vulnerable, but they would have something to lose. And I think that would cut down on the economic reasons for um, human trafficking, especially in places like the Super Bowl. So, Catherine, what do you have coming up next? Well, um, I'm working hard on creating a fourth fair trade course for the Gabelli School of Business. Okay. I am taking students to meet our artisan partners in India. I just got back in January, and I'll be going again in March. And I'll be trying to support fair trade by giving them business. And could you tell me a little bit more about the program? So you take students to India to do humanitarian work. Is that what happens? No, we um, support small artisan groups becoming certified fair trade. And um, How's that done? Yeah, no, it's really great because you can actually literally put the hand, put put the money in somebody's hand who's done the work. I mean, there's oh. women are... Our newest business partners in India, a group called Abhayudaba, which means strong woman, 
And they just collected six women together in this godforsaken slum of a village, a little ways out of Delhi, and they tried to do embroidery. We had them design Fordham bed covers with rams on them. We're purchasing them, and they have money now. I mean, that's what fair trade is all about. Those particular women are not as vulnerable at all to being trafficked, and I would dare say they would, they would be otherwise. My thanks to Kate Kumbelik. She's a clinical associate professor of communications and media management at the Fordham School of Business. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Now I'd like to welcome two members of the Tri-State Coalition for Responsible Investment. They're joining other groups to help deter human trafficking, especially during the Super Bowl. I'm... Pat Daly. I'm a Dominican sister of Caldwell, New Jersey. I direct the work of the Tri-State Coalition for Responsible Investment. Uh, We're one of the groups who are sponsoring the hotel outreach in this area. I'm Margot Morris. I'm a Dominican volunteer, and I've been working with Sister Pat, uh, coordinating this hotel outreach and um, coordinating the volunteers involved. So what's the connection between large sporting events like the Super Bowl and human trafficking? or Is it called human trafficking or sex trafficking or both? Well, human trafficking really shows itself on this planet in many, many ways. Uh, It's when people are coerced, uh, really held captive in many cases, uh, and are sold as a, a commodity. It's huge business. It's a conservatively speaking, a $32 billion business a year. I just read a statistic, though. Well, this came out of the Department of Justice. Of the 12,000 cases of rescued victims that they had in the U.S., 83% of them were associated with sex trafficking, and the rest were labor. We have so much of a demand for this side of trafficking, the commercial sex trade. And so when you're talking about the Super Bowl, and thousands and thousands of people coming in, the profitability for traffickers and pimps um, to be exploiting young girls. I mean, the average age of entry into the commercial sex trade in the U.S. is 12 to 14. In New Jersey, where we are, it's nine. You know, so it's this horrible exploitation of our own young girls. Now, when I think of human trafficking, I always think someone coming in from other countries. But that's not always the case. You still have people who are right here who are victims of this. And where do we get this idea that it only happens out of state or out of the country? I think some of it comes from uh, movies and media that we're exposed to. And we think of trafficking as being smuggling and they're not interchangeable. Um, What do you mean not interchangeable? um, A trafficked victim could be trafficked in their own local town, not even moved, you know, five miles. And they're still considered a a trafficked victim because they are being profited solely by another person, right? They've become a commodity for this trafficker. Um, That's the federal, I mean, the the, the definition um, on a federal side is not necessarily, there doesn't necessarily have to be transport of the victim. So how does someone end up a victim of human trafficking? For a long time in the field, people have, you know, assumed that it was runaways, missing children, uh, those kids who really don't have much of a support system at home. And so they're easily preyed upon by the traffickers. So a trafficker will sort of recognize that this person might be giving off certain signs that say they're not necessarily taken care of at home or they're 
um, not loved at home. Is that correct? Well, sometimes it's just a you know a wonderful family that's in crisis because uh, we heard one story of you know a mother had a terrible prognosis and the father was just totally focused on her care and they knew that she had great friends. Well, they had no idea that when they went to the mall, there were real people there at the mall watching for girls who were, you know, you're not going to be talking about people who are the president of the student council. You know, these are going to be kids who are at Impressionable? A, yeah, and, and at a tough point of their lives, you know, in terms of, and they're going to be promised all kinds of wonderful things. Come on out, we'll go clubbing together, and I'll get you a dress, and almost you like they're being taken be care baby, of, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, um, it's an offer of greater security. So going into that, Sister Pat Margot, what is your organization doing to help combat this? Uh, the Tri-State Coalition for Responsible Investment is a coalition of. 40 Catholic institutions in the tri-state area. And for almost 40 years, we've been working with the members of the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility, working in an interfaith setting to leverage investment power that we have uh, to bring around, to bring issues of concern before corporations. Now, what do you mean leverage Positions of power. When, what exactly? When does that shareholders, mean? Uh, when when investors hold shares in companies, you become part of the owner. You know, you're part owner. So you have rights and real responsibilities. We would claim uh, to you know to how this company is operating. And so we would either file shareholder resolutions, or most of the work today is in corporate dialogue, where we are partners with people in companies. Uh, looking at their human rights policy and implementation. And a matter of, let's say, the work we do right now on the heels of the Rana Plaza uh, horrors, right? in terms of um, how f people access goods from factories around the world and what do companies need to do to make sure uh, that these are safe and uh, safe places of work and there were just wages for, for members. So in our human rights work, for about the last seven or eight years, we've been addressing human trafficking. And that's not just in the hotel industry, and we have a number of companies um, in you know, Starwood, let's say, or Wyndham Worldwide. Uh, also, Delta has signed the ECPAC code. Um, you know, companies who are really understanding that there's risk in their systems because their business is used by these traffickers. They're not p partners with anybody, certainly, uh, and their staffs can be trained, be educated about trafficking, and also be trained on what to look for. And then when you see something, what do you do? So, uh, Sister Pat, could you explain to me what the flight attendants and what the hotel management are actually taught? Like, what are they looking for? They would be looking for a number of signals. What we've been doing, and Margo really has been directing this program in anticipation of the Super Bowl, uh, you know, so any major sporting event is going to attract a spike in sex trafficking. This is unprecedented in the New York, New Jersey area here, uh, truly unprecedented. The Tri-State Coalition has been working with the New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking very closely um, to run a, 
hotel outreach campaign in the New Jersey area. For that campaign, we had over 200 volunteers reach 300 hotels. We've also trained in New York City, close to 200 volunteers reaching to between 600 and 700 hotels in the New York City area. So this initiative is growing. Oh, it's snowballing. Now, how did you get 200 volunteers? What kind of outreach did you do to grab these people and have them be interested in helping? Honestly, the New Jersey Coalition is full of such passionate and energetic people that, you know, we just spread the news to our networks and everyone wanted to be involved. And so we had more than we expected show up at these trainings. So to continue, how did these volunteers then go out and and what specifically did they do? What was their job? So they reached out to the hotels. They contacted them on phone, email, fax. Some went in person if they were able to. And they brought the issue of human trafficking to the attention of managers, typically general managers, also other administration in the hotel. And then they um, had a conversation about it and encouraged the hotel to have a training, if they hadn't already, on how their staff could recognize signs of a potentially trafficked victim and then establish protocol in responding to that. So what are some of the signs that someone should look out for, you know, a hotel person in hotel management or or flight attendant? So one of the flyers that they gave hotels was the red flags for hospitality industry, which was actually um, written up by the Indiana Attorney General's office. And some of the points on it are, are saying, you know, there's if there's a young woman who won't speak with you, she won't make any eye contact, appears to be controlled or manipulated by a man or uh, another trafficker. Um, they're not always men. I don't want to just throw that out, you know. But um, it's, it's hard. It's hard because when a victim walks in the door, they're, you know, such a wide range. It's there's no um, formula for formula what they might for look it like. exactly. Like, is this person shy or are they being trafficked? Yeah, it's sort of hard to to know. Right, and they come from all different cultural backgrounds, and you know, many of the women um, who maybe were brought in when they were twelve to fourteen are still victims when they're twenty, twenty-five. So, you know, it's hard to establish who's a victim. So this isn't really a situation of. I'm a hotel worker, and I think this person might be a victim, so I try to talk to them. They don't respond, so I then move forward with talking to the person I think is a trafficker. We don't want to do that. No. What should be the next step if I think someone is a trafficker and I work you know, as a flight attendant or, or in hotel management or in hotel housekeeping? One thing is that they're never supposed to confront the traffickers because that it could be a very dangerous situation for them. The training that we've experienced and we know is being um, conducted for many hospitality staff is that once they have um, understood that there's several signs that are clearly showing that this is potentially a human trafficking situation, they bring it to their supervisor. And then the supervisor has a relationship with local law enforcement or with um, a local federal agency, and then they take it from there. Margot, how receptive were and we're focusing specifically on hotels and um, airlines because that's what you you said. Margo, how receptive have uh, management been to the trainings? There's been a hierarchy of positive response. 
I would say, there has been, I've said 78% positive response. And that is from a range of the managers saying, look, we will take your red flags and the national hotline flyer, and we're going to post it in our employee areas. But, you know, we're not sure about training. To managers who have been very interested, very proactive, and have immediately gotten their their staff trained. What were some of the reasons they gave for not wanting the training or not moving forward with the training? It's difficult because at the time we were offering a free training that was in Newark and a lot of it was not being able to get away from work, you know, travel. It's just it's just hard to do it out of house training. But we're very, very excited and very pleased that just as of January 6th, ECPAT has been working with the American Hotel and Lodging Association. So on their website, the American Hotel and Lodging Educational Institute, there is an online human trafficking prevention course for hotel management and staff. It's 30 minutes. It's really easy. And so my hope is that the management cannot not take this training now. Sister Pat, you said that this uh, type of training wasn't, it's not done just here. It's done all over the country and in other countries. So how have you found the reception to be? How well are people saying, yes, this is something that I want to not only be aware of, but do something about? Uh, You know, initially when we were reaching out to the publicly owned hotel chains, Uh, there was a good bit of pushback. They didn't want to sign the code for legal reasons. And then when you talk with management, you realize they're they're actually at greater risk legally, you know, Uh. if they ignore this, Mm -hmm. right? To be proactive is, is an important piece. The other piece is that we're also finding is that hotels who are running these trainings, it really energizes the staff that they can actually do something and that they're rather rather proud that their hotel is going to be able to take a stand on this and really help people. So we're still we're at a point of incredible momentum right now where we've got many hotel chains who have implemented training uh, airlines beginning to do that. Delta has already uh, trained just since the summer uh, close to 30,000 employees. Uh, that's unheard of. So there's an incredible momentum. Uh, I really hope that uh, within a year or two, this is just going to be part of the initial training for any hotel worker or any airline worker, that people really are more conscious of these realities, that this is a business out there that you don't want to be associated with. And to make this clear, this is not about bashing any sporting event. You're really just trying to get the awareness out there. It's a wonderful thing, too. I think, you know, these 400 volunteers reaching out to, by by the Super Bowl, it'll be over 1,200 hotels. These volunteers are from the community reaching out. This is where my family stays when they come to town. You know, we're part of the community. We need to work collaboratively on this. Now, um, the next big sporting event that I know of is the Olympics. Is that <laughs> What's the up for Sister Pat? <laughs> well, it's just such a hard, you know, when the Olympics are sponsored and, you know, when you're talking about Russia, uh, it's such a volatile 
country right now uh, with I don't have any real assurance that uh, hotels or police offices, and you know, it just seems like it can be rampant, right? Yeah, Russia kind of has ho- different security rules. Yeah. Now, maybe I'm really prejudiced. Uh, you know, maybe it's going to be very different. Well, you're but you're the I, expert. That's why we have you here. But, I, you know, Russia, we haven't even been able to really reach out to mm-hmm. the Olympics, uh, it, you know, in Russia. Now, this is where the Olympic Committee needs to be so attentive, right? There's, there's got to be something in place uh, for the, the organizations who really do sponsor these events. So the Super Bowl is happening tomorrow. So what can football fans or our listeners do actually during the game? Yeah. So there is a social media um, human trafficking awareness campaign that's been going on and, and will be going on during the game that is being sponsored by both the New Jersey Coalition and the New York Coalition. And what it is is it's hashtag HT challenge or hashtag halftime challenge. People are posting stats about trafficking on Twitter or Facebook. And then with the goal that during the halftime, watchers will turn off their sets, their TV sets for 10 minutes and discuss the issue of human trafficking. And this whole campaign is outlined on halftimechallenge.net or if you go through the njhumantrafficking.org website, you can find out how to become involved. I've been talking to Pat Daly and Margot Morris with the Tri-State Coalition for Responsible Investment. And I'd like to thank my producer, Alan Kanlick. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.